0: Thanksgiving in your heart and give him praise and give him praise. Come into his presence with thanksgiving in your heart, your forces praise. Your forces praise. giving in your heart and give him praise. And give him praise. Come to his presence with thanksgiving nice. in your heart. Your voices praise. Your voices raise. Give glory and glory. I I just want to be where you are in your dwelling place forever. Take me to the place where you are. I just want to. want to be where you I just want to be I just want to be with you. I just want to be. pastor this week on the radio he said a lot, of, a lot of people will meet Sunday and have church but very few will host God I pray today that our church will host God
1: and will experience his presence in this service As we prepare for today's offering I'd like to read to you from the scriptures found in Luke chapter 21 as Jesus looked up he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. You know, this story's not about she gave all she had. The story isn't about giving sacrificially. This story is about a woman who was in the wrong line for the right reason. You see, as a widow she was supposed to receive the offering. It was supposed to be distributed to her, not received from her. And it doesn't say for how long she had been receiving her daily supplies, her offering. But it does say on this day, she took all she had, her offering, her gift from the church to survive on that day and she decided to get out of the receiving line because she wanted to be in the giving line and she stood up in the wrong line but for the right reason and God took note that she desired more to give than to receive and she had given all she had she was in the wrong line but she was there for the right reason. And the reason we give is more important than what we give. And the reason we give is because we're blessed. We give because we have to give, not because we have to. And may God be honored with our offering this day. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, as we pause this moment, I pray that like the widow we celebrate The privilege to give. (laughs) The privilege to, to help others. To support your ministry and to recognize you as a supplier of everything we have and everything we ever needed. We are indeed blessed and thank you, Lord, that we have to give. And this day bless this offering. Multiply it in your kingdom and these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank yeah. you.
0: Jesus, I love thee. I know Thou art
2: mine
0: For Thee all the follies of sin I resign My gracious Redeemer My Savior love thee because thou hast first loved me and purchased my I sing praises to your name oh lord praises to
1: kids leaving because i'm going to open this morning by saying remember when you were a kid can you remember back that far some of us not so far others it's farther back but can you remember when christmas was coming oh christmas was coming you lay there saying i can't go to sleep i can't go to sleep and and you wake up three four o'clock in the morning you're so excited you wake up like three o'clock in the morning your parents couldn't get you up to go to school but on christmas man they didn't have any problem getting you up you were excited to get up. Were you getting up? What, what were you excited about? What were you getting up for? The presents? You know, you think for a minute, you say, yeah, I was getting up for the presents. I wanted to see what Santa brought me. I wanted to just open my presents. Let me ask you an honest question. If you woke up Christmas morning, not a soul was in your house. You were the only one. You were a little kid and you're all alone. How many presents would you open? None. Without the presence of your family, the presence wouldn't have any meaning. You see, God's presence is what makes His gifts so wonderful. So we need to be about seeking God's presence so we can enjoy and celebrate His presence right? It's God's presence that makes life great. Can you remember how you felt as a child the first time you were in Walmart or some store and you looked up and your parents were gone? You know, you'd got so focused on some toy or something, your parents had walked off a little. They were only an aisle away, but until you found them, you were in an absolute panic because life was good when your parents were present. It was the presence of our family that made the holidays, the holidays. And it's the presence of God that makes Christianity, Christianity in the real world sense of the meaning. Hey, in God's presence, he makes his presence to us, his gifts to us, so sweet. So today I want to ask you, if having all the things in this world would make you happy without God's presence. If you had all the things in the world, but you didn't have God in your life, what would your life be? Because once you got everything in the world, once you had it all, you wouldn't dream of anything more. There wouldn't be any hope for a better tomorrow. All that could be, would be, and how would you feel? You see, if you had everything in the world, but you don't have Christ, you still will never be happy. But you know, true peace, true contentment can occur in a life that has very little except the presence of God. I use this illustration so often because it just staggered me when our mission teams come back from Haiti. And one of the ladies stood up and she said, you know, these children had nothing. But they were as happy as they could be because they knew Jesus. You know, they, they had no presence to give them. They only had the presence of God to give them. And in his presence, they found great joy. Their worship services were a celebration, even though they were meeting among a box of, made out of boxes. You see, it's God's presence, his very presence that makes life so wonderful. But so many of us, when I speak to you about God's presence, suddenly become nervous. Because being in God's presence is something that concerns us. And I know as a young Christian, <clears throat> one of the most influential people in my world was a man named Avery Willis and T.W. Hunt. Avery Willis wrote Master Life and T.W. Hunt did The Mind of Christ. And we would do these discipleship training weeks together down in a place called Glorieta, New Mexico. And I can remember sitting in his class one day and he spoke to the class about being in the presence of God and how he became. Uh, the Christian he was today and how he got to where he was and what, what life event had totally changed the course of his life and made God real to him. You know, what was the thing? And he began to sit there and he says, for me, it was a dream. For him, it was a dream. He dreamed he went to heaven. Now, can you imagine that? He dreamed he went to heaven. But it wasn't like he thought it would be. And it staggered him in its reality of the lesson he learned in a dream. You see, he dreamed that one night while he was sleeping, angels came to him and they woke him up. And before he knew what happened, he was rising above his house and out into the atmosphere he went. And he was filled with fear and trepidation. He didn't know what was happening, he didn't understand what was going on. He thought he had died. He began to think to himself, I must have died. I'm on my way to heaven. I must have passed away in my sleep. And the angels took him out into the darkest of darkness where there was no light. And then finally there was a tiny light and he came upon a small building that wasn't very much to look at. And they put him in a room. And when the angels left the room, it was pitch black. He said he could remember he wanted to see a light more than anything in the world. It scared him to death. And in the black, he smelled a familiar smell. And suddenly he felt liquid on his body. Something was dripping on him. And he knew what it was. It was blood and as he wiped the blood off of him in 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 revolt and anguish each place he would rub the blood from his skin light would come in to the room and then he saw his reflection on the wall and the light was him the blood of jesus had cleansed him of his sin then the angels returned and took him off And in the distance, he saw a light. And as he saw the light and came closer to the great city, he could feel the music. You ever been to a concert like that? If you work with youth, you'll go to concerts like that where you can feel the music long before you can see it. Right? Well, he could feel the music coming from there. It was vibrating. He could hear the singing and the trumpets blast and the great temple he came come upon, and as he came upon this great temple, the light from the windows was so bright, it was like nothing he'd ever seen before. And the angel said to him, God would like to see you. He said he woke that very moment. He was covered with sweat. He was scared to death. He was trembling. He said he got up and pinched himself a few times to see if he was alive. Scared him to death. And that scared him to death. He was scared to death to see God face to face. He said, that shook me to my core. You see, he was a seminary professor, a Christian for many years, but yet terrified at the thought of having to come before God who knew him well you see all of us are there in that reality how many of you took that journey with me in your mind how would you feel if you stood at the door and they said you're up god wants to see you can you remember when you were a little kid let's flash back again yeah you get a note that says instead of randy hamilton which is what people called me back then randy it said melvin randall Report to the principal's office. You know, the only time you get called by your full name is when you're about to get it. How do you feel in that moment? You walk the longest mile. (laughs) Right? Because you're filled with fear and and your mind starts to run and you start thinking, which one of the things have they caught me? Which excuse am I going to need? And you start running through all the things you've done that you could be in trouble for, right? All the way there, you don't want to go in. Why? Because you're expecting to get what you deserve. And every one of us young boys, we deserved it right? All of us when we were kids, (laughs) we got sent to the office, it's because we deserved it, wasn't it? Hey, and and we we knew we were going to get what we deserved. That's why we were afraid to go. That's why we were intrepidated. That's why we were so afraid because we had been caught. We had been found out. Well, I got news for you. When you face God, you are caught. You're found out. He knows everything about you. He knows your inner thoughts and your inner being. So how many of you want to be called to his office? You see, we don't want to go see him because we can't make excuses because he knows the truth. We can't even twist the truth because he knows the truth. And we're just caught red-handed. So we're all afraid to come into the presence of God. And like the prodigal son we make excuses. We make up plans. When we see him, we're going to say to him, we don't deserve to be your sons, but just let us in and we'll be slaves maybe. Remember the story of the prodigal son? He was afraid to go home. He was afraid what his dad was going to say to him. So he made up a plan that he would go home and tell his dad, he doesn't deserve to be a son anymore for all the things he's done and The whole story comes to this. The foolish young man had made many mistakes, but his greatest mistake was he underestimated his father's love for him. He thought his father's love depended on his performance, not on the fact that his father had chosen to love him, regardless of his conduct. And his father meets him on the road and puts his arm around him and surprises him. And his meeting was nothing like he thought it would be. You see, he had underestimated God's love for him. That's what T.W. Hunt told me. I had underestimated God's love for me. That's why I was afraid to go in. Why are you afraid? Because you've underestimated God's love for you that's why you're afraid to go in John would speak to this very thing in first John he'd say God is love and whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him in this way love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him there is no fear in love but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Did you hear what he says? He says, there is no fear in love. Once you understand what God's love for you means, God's love for us is unconditional. It's not based on your conduct or your behavior. God loves you in spite of your mistakes. Now, is he disappointed sometimes in our behavior? Do we need to repent? Yes, we do. But God's love never changes. He loves us unconditionally. Hey, though we do have to face him someday, each and every one of us is going to have the dream that T.W. Hunt had. Maybe not exactly that way, but we're going to have that day. We're going to stand at the door, and it's going to come our turn for each man is destined to die, and then the judgment... What's that going to be like? The judgment. What's it going to be like when you're brought before God's presence? What's it going to be like when the angels escort you in? What is it going to be like when you see Jesus face to face and he says, come with me? It's judgment day, my friend. You're at the end. What's that going to be like? Well, you know, one of my favorite books in the Bible is Jude. I used to read Jude a lot. Matter of fact, you'll hear me preach one day The Four Storms of Jude because it's one of my favorite books because it's only one page long. (laughs) When I first got saved, Richard Adams, who who baptized me, required me to read a book of the Bible every week and we'd talk about it on Wednesday. So on Tuesday night when I hadn't read my Bible all week long, I'd read Jude because it's only one page long, I'd be ready to go. So if you ever get called on to read a book of the Bible and tell them about it, read Jude. Jude's a beautiful book. It's the last book right before the book of Revelation in your Bible, and it ends in the most beautiful truth that you're ever gonna see in all of your life. Follow along with me in Jude, verse 24. As the prayer comes, to him who is able to keep you from falling, And to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Hey, take a look at that real close with me. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault what's that say Jesus is going to present you before the judgment without fault hear these words of God with me listen close for my own sake I have blotted out their transgressions and I remember their sins no more thus saith the Lord When you come through the blood of Christ Jesus and you are presented before him for the judgment, the charges against you will be faultless, perfect, without sin. And when you start to say, but, 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 God's gonna say, but what? What sin, what mistakes? What are you talking about? I see before me perfection. Now, how bad is that going to be for you and me to come before his presence? You see, we're afraid of this judgment. We're afraid of his presence. We're afraid to come near him because we know that he knows us. But unlike us, he has a mind of his own and he has chosen to forget your mistakes and remember them no more. He sees you faultless. And I want you to hear this last word because this last word is so encouraging. He says he's going to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. He's going to present you with great joy. He's going to escort you in. And he's going to say, God and Father, creator of the heavens and the earth, let me present to you Steve Argo, faultless, perfect. Amen. Yeah. Hey, you know, everybody, think that through. You know what? If I happen to become friends with a certain football player I like, everybody asks me, You for Alabama? You for Georgia? I keep telling them, I'm for the Denver Broncos. But now I'm voting for New England because Tim Tebow plays for New England Patriots as backup quarterback. I like Tim Tebow. I love him. I just, every time I see him and hear him talk, I just light up inside. I just think he's the neatest guy. I'd love to be friends with Tim Tebow. And if I was and he was visiting me and you came over, what do you think I'd say? Tim Tebow's in the back, you want to meet him? That isn't what I'd say. I'd say, guess what? Guess what? You're not gonna believe it. Guess who's here? Guess who's in my house? Guess who I'm gonna introduce you to? Tim Tebow! I'd be excited. I'd be joyful. Don't you understand? Jesus is gonna present you before the glorious presence of God faultless with exceeding joy we're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a minute you know there's four really good reasons to want to be in the presence of god there are four really 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 good reasons to want to be in the presence of god and if you came to bible study the other night you heard one of the neatest teachings that's ever been taught here or anywhere else We were in Bible study, studying the book of James, right? We're studying William James and Dr. Horner's teaching us and he says this great truth. You know, Satan can't do anything to stop God from answering your prayers. So he has to stop you from praying. You know, friends, Satan cannot do anything To separate you from God's presence. So his only hope is what? To convince you you don't want to go there. He can't keep God out of your presence, but he can keep you out of God's presence, and that's his only hope. And the reason that we live in fear about coming into God's presence is because we believe his lies, that God's mad at us, and that God's going to punish us, and God's going to give us what we deserve because God helps those who help themselves. I heard that before. Only problem is I look for that in the Bible a long time and it's not there. God helps those who cannot help themselves. When we could not help ourselves, God saved us. Let me tell you, friends, Satan cannot stop God from answering your prayers. So he's all about stopping you from praying. Because when you're praying. You're spending time in God's presence. Hey, let me share with you four real good reasons to want to be in God's presence. First is to experience real joy. Real joy. Okay? How many of you understand an old joy? When you were a kid, you experienced joy. Christmas morning, ripping those presents apart, tearing into them. Remember the joy? Remember When you got married, guys, and that door come open and she was headed your way, not the other way, (laughs) and you realize she was going through with it, you knew joy, right? You knew joy then, didn't you guys? Hey, everybody, all of us know joy. We've all experienced it, and that's a great thing, because if you have experienced it once, you can know it again. The fact that you've been there once, you know you can go there again. You just have to know how. And the truth is, by coming into God's presence, that's how you know what real joy is. Listen to me. Psalm verse 16, chapter 16, verse 11. You have made known to me the path of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You will fill me with joy. What's that mean? God will fill you with joy. Fill you up, overflowing, because joy is not something you can keep inside. It's not. Hey, let me read you what Webster's Dictionary says joy is. It's blissomeness or glee, a festive, exceedingly glad presence that overcomes us with pleasure. It's merriment and excitement. It is to be brought to a state of rejoicing. How many of you are living like that? How many of us know that? That our life is so merriful, so blissful, so exciting that we cannot keep it in. Right? Hey, we know that feeling. You Alabama friends, remember? Remember? The Alabama fans last year, when Georgia was just about to score and the clock ran out, that boy caught the ball and got tackled just before he went in. And the tick-tock, tick-tock, the clock ran out. And then suddenly, the crimson tide blew up and exploded. Overcome with what? I know what happened. They all sat there and went, well, okay, we won that. No, they didn't say that. They couldn't sit still. They come out of their seats. Georgia fans went to their knees. Everybody responded in some way. And the people who experienced the joy of victory, they couldn't sit still and they couldn't. Be, was it quiet in there? No, they, they couldn't stand it. They couldn't hold the joy in. Listen to what it says. To be brought to a state of rejoicing. You spend time in the presence of God, you will be brought to a place of rejoicing. You will be able to hold it in. You will be overflowing with joy. Well, Brother Hamilton, that's not been my experience. Well, quit working so hard at the race and claim the prize because Jesus has already won it for you. You understand that? We're working so hard, we're running the race so hard, we forgot to claim the prize. So many Christians are living in the absence of joy because they're so busy running a the race they don't have time to pen, spend in the presence of God discovering the prize. Your prize of joy is being unclaimed. God is waiting for you to come into his presence not that he might punish you but that he might give you the gift he has for you, joy. Joy more abundant and free secondly it says the bible in chapter in psalms 89 verse 15 to be in the presence of god is to be in the light listen to the word of god it says righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne love and faithfulness go before you and blessed are those Who have learned to acclaim you who walk in the light of your presence hey everyone have you ever been in a real absence of light I mean dark I mean pitch dark well when I graduated from college I went to work for Inland Steel Corporation so I thought I'd be about making steel right working on stuff that makes steel but little did I know Inland Steel owns coal mines underground coal mines. And if you've ever known anything about coal miners, they're a little ornery. That's a nice way to say it, right? They're a little ornery, they're, they're fun, fun guys. They like to put snakes in your lunch box and all kinds of stuff like that. You know, and they like to take your pants and, and if you've never worked in a coal mines, you're around equipment that can grab your clothes so you wear these pants that are tight around the ankles. So they like to put the grease gun in your belt there and turn it on and watch your pants bloom up. You gotta work in that all night long once. But the most fun thing to do to you when you're new in the mines, you know what it is? They get you way back in the mines, 1,000 feet underground, way back in there. And then they take your light, pop with a little hammer, and then they walk off. 1,000 feet underground, there is no light. It's total, absolute darkness. You can't tell up from down, from left to right. So you just sit there. And at the end of each shift, when everyone comes to the top, to the surface, you have a number tag for each human and you hang them up for each of the workers underground. And when one of the tags doesn't come to the surface, the next shift doesn't go down. So when your tag doesn't show up eight hours later, they come and get you. And let me tell you, You've never seen anything so beautiful in your life as a light. I've never seen anything so beautiful in my life when I saw those lights coming. People walking through the mines looking for me. I started yelling, here I am, come and get me. I had joy. I mean, I was celebrating. I was dancing around. I wasn't about to stand up too quick because some places are low and you can really hurt yourself. But boy, I was celebrating when I was sitting. Right? I was hopping up and down. I'd seen the light. Hey, everybody, sometimes you don't realize what you have till you don't have it. But without light, we can't see to get around. Things that would normally be of no threat to us are now of serious problems. How many of you feel like your world is filled with darkness? How many of you watch the news and feel like the world's just getting darker and darker by the day? But where's the light? Where's the light in this dark world? Where is it? The people are in darkness and they're desperately looking and they want to see the light. If they see it, they're going to come running. Where is the light? I am the light. You, we, we are the light. And when we, the light, grow dim... It's because we aren't spending time in His presence. When the people of God start to spend time in His presence, the light will become brighter and brighter and brighter. And the world will flock to the light. They're watching us, and they want to see a miracle. They want to see joy. They want to see light. Hey, everyone, how about some divine protection? One of the great reasons to be in God's presence is the promise of divine protection. Psalm thirty-one twenty reads thus. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you bestow in the sight of men on those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from the intrigues of men In your dwelling, you keep them safe from accusing tongues. Hey, how many of you enjoy feeling safe and secure? What makes you feel safe and secure? People, really does. I'll never forget when I first married my wife. She was from the inner city of St. Louis. I'm talking about a scary place. Her school, when she took me there, King's Highway School, I thought it was a prison. (laughs) I thought it was a prison. There was guards and metal detectors to go in and out. It was an inner city school in a rough part of the inner city of St. Louis. She grew up in a place that terrified me. I wouldn't have walked around there at night if my life depended on it. But she grew up there, played there, went to school there. She marries me, we moved to Norburn, out in the country. We're talking May Berry. (laughs) She's in lockdown. She's scared to death. There's no one out here. There's, There's no one here. What if something happened? What's gonna happen? We're the only ones out here who, there's no one here. Don't you wanna go for a walk? In the dark? I'm like, yes, we walk around at day and night. Aren't you gonna lock the doors? Lock doors? But you see, she was in a new place where she felt comfortable in the city was when there was lots of other people around those people they gave her comfort and peace and refuge protection you see she felt protected around the people in her neighborhood they looked after each other and when she was without that protection she was alone and when she was alone she felt what afraid like a child in walmart who's played with the toys a little too long and her parents have gone to the next aisle they looked up And suddenly the toys are not fun anymore. And they're in a panic until they see their parents again. Because when they're not in the presence of their parents, they're not in a safe place. When you're not living in God's presence, you're not in a safe place. But in God's presence, we have a refuge. What's that mean? What's it mean to have a refuge? What's it mean to have a stronghold? What's it mean when it says, blessed are those who have taking refuge in you what's that mean what does it mean to have a refuge right what does it mean to have a shelter of your presence you see a refuge is a place you go where you're safe and you go into that place and who's going to protect you you know one of the great things about serving in the marine corps i tell you one of the greatest things was you could trust your buddies the guys next to you you could trust them with anything And every night when you went to sleep, even stateside, no matter where you were at, there was a guard watching over you when you slept. He walked by your rack to make sure you were all right. Nothing was going to touch you. No one was going to steal your stuff. And nothing was going to happen to you. Because night watch watched over you. And when it came your turn to pull duty... You watched over them while they slept. And they could sleep in peace because they knew I was watching over them. I could walk up and down their racks and say, boys, don't worry about it tonight because I got you covered. Nothing's going to happen to you. I'm watching over you. If you've never been a non-commissioned officer in the Marine Corps before, you'll know why you need a guard when you're over a barracks because those guys would like to get you for the things you do to them, (laughs) that's okay, right? Get aboard a naval ship. Why does the captain sleep well at night? There's a marine regiment on the ship with one responsibility, guard the captain. That's all they do and he sleeps well at night. But you know, I'm not in the military anymore. I'm in a better army than that. I'm in God's army. And my Lord and Savior, he's on guard 24-7. He watches out for me. He shelters me. He protects me. And he says, stay here, Amar, in my presence. You stay here in my presence. I will protect you. I will light your path. I will show you where the enemy is. I'll keep you from stumbling. And I'll hold you up. And lastly, I will give you rest. The fourth reason we want to be in God's presence, God's rest. Hey, listen to the word of God in 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. As we come there, we read in 18 and 19, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth. And how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Set your heart at rest. God loves you. He's looking out for you. He's watching over you. He's sheltering you. He's protecting you. Remain in his presence and you will know joy. You'll know the truth. You'll know the way. And you'll know the life more abundant and free that God promised you. And he promised me. You see, there's a lot of reasons the devil doesn't want you to come into God's presence. But there's a lot of reasons why we should want to go there. Hey, today I'm inviting you to join me in God's presence. Let's seek his presence today. Let's commune with him. Let's celebrate with him. Let's spend some time at rest in his presence. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, as we pause in this moment, your Bible promises us in this truth we stand that anywhere two or more gathered together in his name, you're there we welcome you into our presence. You stand at the door of our hearts and you knock. And God, I pray that we, your people, called by your name, will humble ourselves and we will pray and turn from our wicked ways. (laughs) And you will hear our prayers and bless our land. I pray that in this moment, every heart that knows you would swing open the doors to every room in their house and let you in. To not be fearful of your presence, but excited and filled with joy at what you're about to do in their midst. And I pray especially for those that are here today that have never asked you to be Lord of their life. They've never invited you into their heart. That this day they would pray, they would open the door to their heart and let you in. That they would know what it is to be born again. And these things we pray in Jesus' precious name. As we stand for our hymn of invitation today, I want to challenge you. If you're here and you know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, he's waiting for you right here at this altar this morning. He wants to commune with you. He wants to pray with you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to uplift you. He wants to comfort you. This altar is here for you as we sing, Won't You Come? If you're here this very day, you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never followed him in believer's baptism. You've never asked him into your heart. Today is the day. He's at your door. He's knocking. This is the day of salvation. Let him in. Come as we sing. Let me share with you in the Bible what it says you can do to be saved. If there's any decision in your heart, won't you come, won't you pray? Won't you come, won't you celebrate? Won't you come into God's presence this day? As we stand, won't you come?
2: Lord, I give Give you my heart.
0: Right
1: you all to please be seated today this is a special day in multiple ways this is a special day you know a pastor dreams and prays about the days that during the invitation people come and you say what may i do for you today I want to follow my lord and savior and believe in baptism and all of god's people to that say amen, amen right so hey before we leave this building this day You come by and encourage him and uplift him, pray with him and let him know we're with him to the end on this decision. This will be the greatest day of his (laughs) life. Hey, but this is... (laughs) Hey, it's another great day. Today's message, today's focus is on being in the presence of God. Hey, God is with us. He is with us in our midst this very day. And you know what it must have been like to have been a disciple? What do you think? See, we're about to have communion. And communion sometimes becomes a ritual, just something we do, but it's so much more than that. That's not what it's about. Hey, everybody, what would it have been like to have been Jesus' disciple, to have walked with him, worked with him, struggled with him, fought the battles with him, Lived in fear with him. Saw the miracles with him. But in all that, there were special times. There were the times when the disciples and Jesus were just friends. They just sat around a table. They had a break. The war was over for a moment. And they ate. What do you think their meals were like? They didn't have chairs, you realize that? They didn't have furniture like we think. So they would sit around a table, and to set up and be comfortable, they reclined on each other. And John and Jesus would always lean lean on one another. The old lean on me, right? What do you think that was like those times? And you see, they thought, this is gonna last forever. We don't have to cherish this and take this in. This is going on forever. Jesus is going to live for millions of years. We're going to live for millions of years. We're going to have a kingdom here on earth and we're going to live here with Jesus forever. There's no need to get in a hurry. There's no need to get excited. But Jesus knew. He knew what? This was the last time. He would never sit around that table again. The disciples didn't have a clue, but Jesus knew. And you know, when people know their days are numbered, they become real serious. In that moment, they get to what's important. So the night before it all began, he spent time alone with his disciples around a table, fellowshipping, having dinner and singing because that was the real important ministry for him because he knew after that night they would long for that day for the rest of their lives they would long for one more time one more dinner one more time to laugh with their lord jesus but that day would not come So Jesus, being God, knowing all things, he took their everyday common things, the bread they would eat at each meal, the wine they would drink, and he took them and he broke them just the way he'd always done it. It had been his custom, something that he just always did that they didn't understand. And he would break the bread and give it to them and pray over it and then pray over the cup and then give it to them he did this over and over and they didn't understand until later and for the rest of their life every time they sat at a table every time they broke the bread they were back they were back with Jesus around that table because that symbol had power had the power to take them back back into the presence of God around that table with Jesus where everything looks so good. And then he said to them, do this in remembrance of me. Well, today we come together here. We're going to have communion. If you're a guest, you're a visitor, welcome home. If you know Jesus, your Lord and Savior, you're part of the family. We welcome you in. But most importantly, stop. Stop. Forget about your day and your schedule. Stop. We are in the presence of Jesus. He doesn't want to judge you. He doesn't want to convict you. He doesn't want to punish you. He wants to commune with you. He wants to hand you the cup. He wants to tell you he loves you. He wants to tell you he has confidence in you. He wants to tell you, you just made the best decision of your life. Amen. <laughs> he wants to tell you, you're not going to believe what you're going to see. He wants to encourage you, stay, stay in his presence. Enjoy the moment. Realize and know the truth. It's going to be okay. We are going to win. And as they sit at the table, as he prepared that day and as our deacons come, as we prepare this day, what did he do? He took something that was common. He took something that was every day. And he made it into something beautiful. But the power and the beauty is only there. If we remember, if we remember what it's all about, if we remember that the teachings of Jesus were wonderful, his life and his ministry, they were fabulous. His broken body and his blood saved us. Let us remember. The Bible says that he took the bread, and as he took it, he broke it, and as he did, he prayed over it, and we shall do the same. Dear Lord, as we pause in your presence, we stop this moment, and we thank you, Lord. We thank you that you became for us a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. You offered up your body as a living sacrifice that day, holy and pleasing unto God, that we might be saved. And you promised us if we dare to remember to bring you into our presence that joy and rest and shelter could be ours. This day we remember your body broken for us. We do this in remembrance of you. Amen. Bible said that He just took the bread and He broke it. And He gave it to them and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In a like manner, He took the cup and He blessed it. And we'll do that very same also today. And as He took the cup, He reminded them of the truth that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sin. And I would like for you to pause and stop for a moment and get serious and just ask yourself, what do you think he said when he handed the cup around the table? What do you think he said? As you turn to your neighbor, as you pass the cup, what would God have you say? Think about that. May God bless you. He took the cup He prayed over it, and he thanked God for it. He thanked God for the reality of what he had come to do, to shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins, that we might know the truth this day.